Any, any, uh, any questions, thoughts, anything from this morning's message? Elsa. She has a Greek question. You, you may. I was looking in the Greek on my phone, and the word for master is epistata. Yes. What? Because I've, you know, you think kurios, right? Right. Um, yeah, that, that's a term unique to Luke. Um, it's, it's a term almost always, except one instance, found in the mouths of the disciples, spoken to Jesus in the vocative. Um, it's a term of respect. It means teacher. No, it certainly doesn't have the overtones of God, which might be in part why Luke emphasizes that. It's not a derogatory term by any means. When you compare the three accounts of this calming, in one they call him teacher, didaskalos, in one they call him Korios Lord, and here epistata, master. So it's, so there's no indication in Luke that this is an unacceptable, rude, slighting name to call Jesus. However, it is noting, noting that it's certainly not emphasizing deity by any stretch. But no, that's just another term of what they call him. And in Luke, Jesus is the one they call it, and it always seems to be fine when they call him that. But very observant, Elsa, very observant. Other questions or thoughts? or They don't have to be in the Greek. Mr. Kingery. I'm guessing somehow he's going to tie this to creation. <laughs> Just giving you a hard time, Dave. Just giving you a hard time. I, I, I really appreciate you mentioning the, that, that faith thing when, he, when you said, where's your faith? That's, that's been a long-standing confusion of mine, what mm. he means by that, because... I, I knew that so many times he healed people that didn't have any faith at right. all. And so I was, it, it seemed to indicate at least a, a lot of nice people think that that uh, where's your faith means that you can't be healed unless you have faith. Or otherwise, even today, that's why people don't get healed is because they don't have enough faith. I knew it didn't mean that because there's yeah. so much evidence in the Bible throughout. And you mentioned it as well that... That uh, people have been healed without with zero faith, you know, like Lazarus. People who are dead, <laughs> unconscious. Yes, exactly. And so, uh, and the disciples had no faith in the boat. Obviously, I don't so, know if they had no faith or very little. Very little faith. They they had they had faith that was weak and and needed help. Insufficient. Yes. Insufficient. But, I, mean, I mean, there's a sense in which they have enough faith to be his disciples, but we're they're going to arrive at Luke nine twenty. Where you are the Christ. I mean, they get it now. Yeah, you know. And so that really helped this morning. I appreciate oh, that. Thank you, Dave. That, uh, he that that was in faith in him, who he was, and and uh, you know, after all, he showed about himself. And mm. and uh, I'm in that. Uh, I, I'm I'm like the disciples too. I still don't have quite the faith I should have in him. Oh, I, yeah, Dave, I constantly am praying like that man, I believe, help my unbelief. I'm so glad the Bible gives a category for weak faith, you know, because I think that's frequently where many of us are. Um, so, disciples here, yeah, same thing. So thank you for clearing that up. What? We're in the same boat as them. <laughs> Simeon. You were with him before they got into the boat, like time of ministry, as it's been like half a year, a year, because they marvel and they're saying, who is this? And they're like, 
he's been doing stuff beforehand. They should have been yeah. getting hints, but apparently it's not like going through their deep skulls or something. Well, know. there's a couple. No, that's that's a great question. There's a couple possibilities. One, because Luke doesn't put this with a time referent, then in theory, there's no reason this couldn't take place prior to other things we've read in Luke. Now, I don't think it's the natural reading of Luke, but in theory, there's no reason it couldn't be. Now, you can read the synoptics and find out a place. With what Luke's shown us, again, if you're looking at this kind of like the screenplay mentality, they've seen a bunch of things. They've seen John the Baptist declare who he is. They've seen him heal the paralytic. They've seen him heal the leper. They've seen him raise the widow's son. They've seen him from a distance heal the servant of the centurion. They've all of that. You know what I mean? Um, they've seen him, the titles he claims. He, he's claimed to be Isaiah 61. He's claimed to be other things. He's received titles from demoniacs. I mean, they, they got, the, the, the rebuke wouldn't make sense if it wasn't a sense in which they sh- there's something they should have understood they don't. This isn't simply, well, you couldn't possibly be accountable for it because I haven't said it yet. So they've seen enough to do better than this. They've seen enough to put it together better than this. Um, but we don't know exactly how much they've seen because Luke doesn't place it precisely in a chronology. Luke's ordering, he says, I've organized this. He's clearly starting here this theme of, okay, who is Jesus? Arriving at Peter's confession. Um, but we don't ultimately know. Enough that they should do better than that. Enough for the rebuke to make sense. Could it also be that they don't think or they don't realize that his powers outside of healing because so far it's only been healing basically that they've seen well it's been healing he's healed he's raised the dead but he's also rebuked the well, he the fever you know that, that could be it as well i mean it's, the thing it's, i was it's the, new power it's, right i can talk to the waves yeah. and they it's, stop it's the nature no I, and i do think that's it because this week i was thinking man out of the two miracles raising a dead boy at a funeral and this which is the one that's going to make me go it's the raising of the dead boy, I'd think. You know, if, if Both of these would be impressive, no doubt. I mean, it's not like, well, that's nothing. But the one that I'd just be like would be the you go to a funeral and up, up comes the kid. But maybe it's because there is Old Testament antecedent for that. you got Elijah praying over the widow's son, and he raises. The, the, something like this has not been seen. The closest you've got is, like I said, either Elijah praying that it wouldn't rain, which is not like, Rain now. You know, he has to pray. Or you've got Moses parting the Red Sea, but clearly at God's command, and the partings of waters that we have with Moses, Elijah, and Joshua. Or is it Elisha? I think it's Elisha. Um, sorry. But you've got that. That's, but otherwise, you go to the Psalms, and this is what God alone does. And so I, I do think there's a sense in which they're, yeah, they're, that's flying out of their heads in the middle of the trial. Um, yeah, this is new power. And that's, that's what Luke's going to show us. Jesus' power over nature. Jesus' power over demons. We've already seen that, but he stacks them up so clearly in this next section without any parables, without any real teaching involved. You can't start to, you can't miss ultimately power over disease, power over death, power to give to others. You know, and all heading up to Peter's, you're the Christ. Um, yes. Renee. Or, oh, wait, no, 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 you gotta wait for the microphone. Hello? How long have we been doing this? There is an element, though, when a person has a near-death experience, that heightened sense of, wow, he just saved my life. Yeah. 
Yeah. So well, it's the juxtaposition of being, I mean, think about it. It's the juxtaposition. I can remember it the other way. I can remember riding my bike along. Do, 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 yes. do, I'm going to die. I mean, that, that <laughs> <Yes>. sudden, <laughs> no, that, that sudden rounding of the corner of do, 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 I'm going to die. And <laughs> they've had that, and now it's calm. Yes. It gives a certain clarity, doesn't yes, it? it? A certain does. focus <laughs> on what's just happened. <laughs> that absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, Greg, Greg. I cut the disciples a little bit of slack. And, I thought you would. And especially as you uh, apply it to your own life. Uh, I think it's clear from the scripture that they didn't maybe know that Jesus could stop the storm. Uh, but even if they had, it doesn't mean he was going to. Right. I mean, so the, the fear would have still been justifiable mm-hmm. uh, because Jesus, while he had the ability to stop the storm might have chosen to let it do whatever it does mm-hmm. and then do something from that that right. might not have affected the disciples at all you know so they could have perished right even right. though Jesus is laying right there who could stop it and that and that's why i think the other piece of it is taking their cues from him the master isn't worried about the storm to some degree the master is god yes yes he wouldn't worry about the storm, but I'm not God. But Jesus will worry about other things. Not worry, but Jesus will become anxious about other things. It's not as though Jesus is constantly walking around in this ever-cool calm. He gets angry. He makes a whip. He's in anguish. His soul is in sorrow and bittered within him. But he's sleeping here. All, all I'm saying is, is there is a sense in which if, if the, master, the disciples should be taking their cues like the master, when the, Jesus said in, in Luke 6, in the Sermon on the Plan, the student is fully taught, he'll be like the teacher. There's a sense in which they should be modeling themselves after him. The, ma- the contrast of we're freaking out and he's asleep should move them at least a step or two that way. Maybe Jesus knows something we don't. Maybe there's, and that's what I'm saying, at least having the category, not the certainty necessarily, but... Maybe there's more going on here than we think. It's kind of what you're not adding to the equation, which is what I was trying to say. The fear is fine. In, with, and along with the fear is we got the living God who's not very worried with us in the boat, too. So let's see what he has to add to that equation as well. Or you want to, so how would you resolve it? What is Jesus rebuking then? In, in, no, no, I, I agree. You just feel bad for him. No, right? I, I, I agree. I'm just, I'm just trying to apply it to us. Yeah. You know, that when we have difficulties, uh, we know that God oh, yeah. could solve our problems anytime He wants to, and and it's the and that brings comfort, but it doesn't bring the loss of fear right. or the res- resolution of of concern yeah. uh, about what's going to happen on down the line, yeah. w- you know, with this illness or whatever. Because while we know for certain God could deal with it. He might not. Right. Uh, we, we certainly see that. Uh, you know, we recognize that if the worst comes and we we die, then then we gain. Uh, but that doesn't. Right. Th- that brings great comfort, but it it doesn't bring complete comfort because God might let me uh, yeah. suffer for the next twenty years in order to. Yeah. You know. Uh, well, it's, it's R.C. Sproul's. It's not death that I'm afraid of. It's dying. Right. Sure. Um, you know, if you could just sort of teleport and be in heaven, that's great. But you got to go through dying to get there. And that's, yeah. No, no, absolutely. And that's what I was trying to avoid when I said, it's not as though there's some guarantee. If you just have enough faith, everything will go well. If you just have enough faith, 
the storm gets healed. You just got to believe, and then everything will be wonderful. You, you don't just read your Bible. Paul gets thrown in jail. Isaiah gets cut in half. Um, 11 of the 12 apostles are martyred. I mean, that's nonsense. And, and plenty of modern prosperity teachers will teach some sort of version of that. Just have enough faith and everything goes smooth. Um, maybe, or maybe it'll go smooth because even though there's a storm raging outside, God gives you a peace and a comfort while you're going through it that you'll have. I mean, um, so that's, that's the other alternative, uh, which is why the three sort of points of application I came up with for this is just remember the storms from God. That that's not the way out. Sometimes you want to let God off the hook. God didn't do this. The devil did. No. Um, two, remember God's with you in this. You know, Jesus is in the boat. God's, God's not going to desert us. Even if it feels or looks like he's asleep, God's with us. And he's got a good plan, and he's good. So this is from God, and God is good, and God's with me, and we'll see what happens. And it may not appear good initially to me, but it will be. And then you go, Daddy, help. <laughs> you know? Yes, Elsa. You need a mic? Don't hog the Oh, Oh, sorry. I thought Greg still had the mic. Greg doesn't have the mic. No. Oh. I just want to add to what you were saying, what was uh, amazing to me when you listen to the, the voices of the martyrs radio mm. when they give their testimony. Um, mm. They always ask, do not pray that we're not persecuted. Mm because we want to be persecuted, because that's the time we know God is with us. And it's such a wonderful feeling when we're in jail mm. and being tortured. Mm. We, we feel him with us. And mm. how they often express disappointment when they let out of jail. Because they, they want to be there because of the, of the closeness of God. They just mm. ask for prayers that they will not deny Christ, that they will be able to forgive the perpetrators. They, those are the kinds of prayers they ask for. Yeah. Open your Bibles to Hebrews 11 real fast. I'm going to take your point and Dave Kingery's point and try to push it even harder. That was a good point you made, Dave. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to push it even further. So. Hebrews 11. Okay. If you remember, Hebrews 11 is the great hall of faith. We look at example after example after example after example of people from the Old Testament who had faith and were told to imitate their faith, to model their faith. Now watch this. Verse 32. After we deal with... So up until verse 32, we got individual cases. And now the author of Hebrews just says, okay, there's, there's too much. There's too much to talk about. What more shall we say? For time would fail to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, endured justice, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, and escaped the edge of the sword. Pause. So some people, through faith, escaped the edge of the sword, Right? were made strong by faith out of weakness became we are in chapter 11 in verse 34 you are quite welcome verse 34 um, and so what he's highlighting here are the triumphs in life of faith women verse 35 received back their dead by resurrection some were tortured refusing now we're turning the corner to what you were talking about some were tortured refusing to accept release 
so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, all by faith still. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Wait a second. I thought in verse 34, some by faith escaped to the edge of the sword. They did. And others by faith were killed by the sword. So the Bible may highlight at times the stories of deliverance and triumph by faith, but the author of Hebrews makes it perfectly clear. By faith, you can escape these things, and by faith, you can walk right into them. You can escape the edge of the sword by faith. You can be delivered to the edge of the sword by faith. You can, you can, mouths of lions can be stopped, or you can languish in jail all by faith. And it's a powerful thing to remember that both are true. By faith, there are times when by faith and trusting in God, He delivers us, He removes the, the trial, He shuts the mouths of Daniel's lions. But I just love, I love what Daniel's friends say. Um, what are their real names? It's not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's their Babylonian names. It's, uh, I feel like, you know, you should honor them and actually call them by their real names. Anybody? It's Hananiah. It's Han- I know one of those. What? Azariah. Come on. I'll turn to Daniel. I'll look it up here. Um, it's terrible. I should be able to know their names. Um, Mish- Mishael. Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. Okay, there we go. Um, and they, the, the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, wants them to bow down and worship his, his golden statue. Um, in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship your golden calf. Which is to say, it was bold. Our God certainly can deliver us if he wants to. And even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow down to your stupid statue. Like that's, that's the confidence of faith. Our God can deliver us from the edge of your sword, or our God can let you take the edge of the sword, but we have faith and we're not trusting you in your God. So there. You know, and that's faith. And the Bible has both examples. And what's popular today in some of the prosperity movement or the prosperity light movement is just emphasizing the triumphs, just emphasizing the deliverances. And the subtle implication is if you're a good boy and a good girl and if you have faith, you won't get sick and you won't get poor and you won't lose your job and no one in your family will die and on and on and on and on. The problem with such teaching is that it, it leaves people completely and totally unprepared for real calamity and real trial, so that when somebody dies and when the sickness comes and when you lose the job, you're left shattered because you don't have a category for this. You know, And so either God is unfaithful or I've got some secret sin in my life I don't know about or something. So, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah, okay. Hebrews 11. Since there wasn't a microphone, I was asked to go back to Hebrews 11 and read 39 and 40. Um, well, let me, let me just pick up where I was at, because I, I broke off even before that. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. 
They were killed with the sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had promised something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. These people did faith looking for something that was promised to come. And they never saw it. They didn't see Jesus arrive. They didn't see the cross. It's coming. It's coming. I'm trusting it's coming. And the argument the author of Hebrews is making is how much more firmly ought we to believe to whom the promise has come. We, 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 we are the recipients of that promise. And they, these people, these men, don't partake of that promise apart from us because we're all sharing in Christ together. They're just trusting God's sending his Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to come. The promise is coming. The promise has come. So you read right into chapter 12. Since therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, namely all the people he mentioned in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against themselves that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Have you forgotten the exhortation addressing you as sons? My sons do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. And he goes on. We need to, we need to be prepared to suffer discipline. We need to be embared, prepared to suffer mistreatment just as they were. God may deliver you. God may, God may, let's take, let's make it really straightforward. God may deliver this nation from some of the more recent wicked rulers and rulings and godlessness. He may not. He will be faithful to us and through faith we can triumph and persevere through that. That, that's, Let's put it as simply as you can. We may escape the edge of the sword. We may be given to the edge of the sword. Things could get worse. Things could get better. By faith, we can persevere and run with endurance the race set before us. The temptation is to think somehow the outcome of the election, the outcome of things, is what matters. What matters is the outcome of our faith and our faithfulness. God's people have been faithful in Babylon. God's people have been unfaithful in the land of Israel when everything's going well. What matters is our faith persevering. Um, God makes the kings. God establishes the rulers. There is dust in the, in the scales, which is not to say it's so unimportant. Who cares? Don't vote. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the scales of what's important. We look at it and we think, oh, I hope this election comes out okay. And I guess the election's important to some degree. What's far more important is I hope my faith perseveres through this election. It's not shaken. I hope that God's spirit will sustain me through this so that I can suffer well or rejoice well or whatever the case may be. That, that's what really matters. You know, let's not be chicken little. The sky is falling just because the person we don't want in office gets in office. Um, I mean, you go back to Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. God just... God just shut Nebuchadnezzar down. And Nebuchadnezzar was a far greater tyrant and potentate and autocrat than anything we are remotely facing right now. Far greater. Um, and did Nebuchadnezzar get in God's way? Did Nebuchadnezzar stop Daniel and his friends? No. 
So sure, care, be informed, vote, all that. But please don't put too great a stock or a weight as if somehow everything will be okay if this person gets in or, oh, no, everything's terrible because this person got in. It's not the true at all. It's not true at all. Any Anything else? We have six minutes. Yes, Daniel was the one who got thrown into the lion's den. His friends got thrown into the fiery furnace, and Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. Absolutely, Bennett. Yeah. Candy? Um, I was just wondering when Jesus asked them where their faith was. It kind of, like in my life, he's asking, so who are you looking at to solve this issue, Candy? Are you looking at me, or are you looking at your circumstances? Get your eyes off the circumstances, like the wind and the waves. Like, is your faith in your own ability to save yourself, like they've done many times as fishermen, through storms, I'm sure, and so he's going, are you going to look at me and keep your eyes focused where they need to be during the storm? Right, right. Uh, and this gets back to that balancing act. There's, there's nothing wrong. I mean, fear, I was talking to Alex Palmquist yesterday, and he was wrestling over the word fear, because there are passages in those that do not be afraid. But let's translate it into other, the text doesn't even say they're afraid. The text says they're in danger, we are perishing. They're anxious, they're alarmed, they're greatly concerned, <laughs> they are adrenaline's pumping, the apprehension of imminent death is on hand, and there's nothing wrong with not liking that, as though somehow, just because death is gained, it's like, great, we're going home. No, nowhere do I see it, that's the right, Jesus is not saying, why aren't you guys just happy and singing a song, the ship's going down, we're all going to heaven, like, no. There's nothing wrong with that, that concern, that alarm. You read through the Psalms. They're just, they're, I think over half the Psalms are Psalms of lament and crying out. The Psalms are full of very upset, concerned people crying out to God. But in with that should be some greater understanding of who Jesus is and some sense that maybe Jesus has a plan or knows what's going on. And that seems to be what's absent. Um, especially if you look in the other synoptics. And I, and I want to let Luke stand on his own, but in Mark... Don't you care for us? We're dying. In Mark, it makes the point even clearer. There's a sense of, you're not paying attention, Jesus. We're dying and you don't care. Right? And that's what I think we have to guard ourselves against, is like God doesn't know what's going on. He's not in control. God, don't you care? Look at this. This is awful. Hey, wake up. Right quick, come on. Fix my situation. And... So I don't want to let Mark totally override Luke. I want to try to, I was trying to get this just on Luke's terms, but, but that's more of the implication drawn out in Mark is there's this sense in which they are forgetting who he is. And it's just, uh oh. <laughs> and that's, and it just, that's as far as it goes. Instead of, uh oh, but there's a sovereign God. Uh oh, but I'm in the boat with the Lord. And maybe that factors in somehow. You know, that seems to be what's missing. And so it's like the twelve, the 10 spies who go to spy out Cana. You know, this children's song, you know, 10 spi- 12 spies went to spy out Cana, 10 were bad and two were good. The 10 spies report, as far as it goes, is entirely accurate. They don't exaggerate. They don't lie. They don't add things in. It's what they leave out that makes it a bad report. It's they leave out the promises of God. They leave out the character of God. And that's exactly what Caleb and Joshua add in. So that's, I think, frequently the challenge when you're dealing with a dilemma and a trial is what is also true. You get this tunnel vision. An analogy I frequently use, you ever drive down the highway and the heat coming off the highway distorts what's behind it? 
when your trial and the the, temp, the trial is right up here, it can make God look different in the background. And so you're just staring at tunnel vision as you're looking at, I might have this disease or I might, my kid might have this disease or I might lose my job or whatever. And you so are focusing on that, that God way off in the distance starts to look mean, uncaring, asleep at the wheel. And I think the solution is, okay, okay, this is, this is awful, this thing I'm dealing with. Let's set that aside for a minute and take some time thinking about who God is and growing the fear of God and maybe that'll give a better perspective. I think that's the main sort of application of what we need to be doing in this. It's not, oh, it'll be okay, everything will go away, Jesus will calm the storm if you just, no, 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 that's not what's going on. It's when the fear of something else starts to grow bigger than the fear of God, we need to work on stoking the fires of the fear of God so that we can put things back into their right proportion and place. Does that, am I speaking to what you're talking about or? Okay. We have time for one more question. And Elsa, Elsa's taking the swing at it. You may. Um, That is something that you're saying there now that helped me tremendously, that convicted me that reformed theology was the way because that centers Jesus is the way. No, no, I mean... (laughs) As far as religions go, religions. Um, because the question to ask is, how is this going to glorify God? If you think um, of the election, if we get somebody elected that is great, will the apathy continue? But if we get somebody who starts persecuting, would that not be to glorify God in that we can then bring the gospel to a despairing world because people will start despairing the worse the leader gets, right? Which will open up an opportunity for us to preach the gospel and bring hope and glorify God. Yeah, we've seen that no matter how things turn out, we know that God will and can use it for good. And we don't know... I mean, this is where you got to not go too far with the sovereignty of God where you stop praying, well, I don't know what to ask for, so just do what you're to do, God. And that's not what we're told. We're told to bring our requests, but we need to bring our requests in an open hand, recognizing that God is, has brought much glory to his name and sustained his people through much, much, much worse regimes than anything we're facing. Um, but don't feel bad to say, but, but I don't want that, and I don't want that for my kids. Like, As long as you're willing to accept, but you will do what's right, and you will do what's good, and I trust you through that. So as for me, <laughs> I don't... I don't, I don't want to live in Babylon, you know, if I can help it. But I'm going to trust you with, you're going to do us right. Um, and you know what you're doing. And um, that's, I think, sort of the stance. We still need to make our requests, absolutely. I mean, I want God to slow down the, d- the deterioration of my mom's disease. God may want to glorify himself by showing, I mean, what's, what's he say to Paul? My power is perfected in weakness, Second Corinthians uh, 11. Three times Paul asked for the thorn to be removed, and God said, my power is perfected in weakness. Paul then says, therefore, I'll glory in my weakness. He stopped praying that prayer, didn't he? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Um, you know, that, that could be what God wants to do. It's not what I want him to do. <laughs> and so we fall after Jesus. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. But if, since you do ask me what I want, God, here's what I want. But... I also need your grace to prepare me for what you've prepared for me. I, I need your grace so that if you, if, if you don't give me my request, that I don't look at it and say, this is a stone. And that's what Jesus insists, right? He does not, his father does not give his children stones and scorpions. He gives them bread and fish. And the challenge is, you're like, this looks awful lot like a rock to me. 
Take a bite. I'm going to break my teeth. It's bread. Take a bite. I'm going to break my teeth. <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? So absolutely bring your request before God. Absolutely. Could you, could you calm the storm, please? Um, and yet, could you also give me the grace to receive the confidence? This is from you. You're good and you're in control. And if, if what I ask for doesn't happen, you got a plan and you know what you're doing. That, that's what we're resting our confidence in. Um, the sovereignty of God that's demonstrated there. And with that, our time is up. We have a picnic. A picnic. God bless.